So we are, we're in our third week of our sermon series on Jude, wittingly called Hey Jude. Um, and I want to just kind of briefly recap um, some of the ground that we've covered over the past couple of weeks, right? It's a short letter. It's only one chapter. It's dense though, isn't it? It's full of, of, of a lot of stuff as we're discovering here. And remember that I said the author of this is Jude, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, And he is writing to a church um, that was probably predominantly Jewish, Jewish converts to to, uh, Christianity. And the reason he's writing to them is because there have been some false teachers that have infiltrated the church, that have become part of the church community. And they are are causing all kinds of trouble with with false teachings. Uh, Last week, we spent quite a bit of time in the Old Testament, looking up examples that Jude had gave us. All right, and then uh, there was that fascinating dispute between the archangel Michael uh, and the devil over the the body of Moses. Um, that was some of the stuff we missed. Uh, we went over last week. Uh, it was pretty crazy. We talked about the Nephilim, all good juicy stuff. Um, and you can catch our uh, past sermons are on our, our Facebook page if you go to uh, Community Congregational Church and look them up. You've got them all there, and we're, we're going to be soon uploading them to our website as well. So here we are today. You probably noticed from the reading that Jude's not done yet. He's, in fact, last week he was just getting warmed up. This week now he's, he's in his flow. The moves are flowing. And, you know, have you, have you ever been, found yourself, you're, you're criticizing something or maybe you're listening, uh, listing some issues that you have with something. And you're kind of complaining, you're listing off things. And at some point you say, and another thing. You've done that? You know, blah, 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 blah. And another thing, you know, you, you're talking to somebody, yeah, man, prices are very thin, sky high right now, groceries are so expensive, gas is going up, you know. And, and another thing, what about that 50 bucks you owe me? You know, we. Macmillan's Dictionary defines the phrase, and another thing is this for introducing an additional subject that you want to mention when you are annoyed about something or when someone has done something that you do not like. Well, in a sense, when we get to our scripture text this morning, uh, Jude is kind of saying this. Right? He tore into them in verses 5 to 10, which we looked at last week, comparing them uh, the, to the Israelites who were punished in the wilderness. He compared them to the angels who had left their proper domain and to the sexually immoral in Sodom and Gomorrah. He claimed that they'd slandered celestial beings. Remember, the theme last week was rebellion against God and against authority. And now we get to verse 11, and it's like Jude is saying, and another thing, here's something else I got on you guys. He's not done with his criticism and his denouncement of these false teachers. And you know what? It's really a sign of, of just how strongly Jude feels about the evil and the damage that these false teachers are doing and are capable of. You know, I said last week, Jude, he, he doesn't hold back. He doesn't pull any punches. And you know, there's... Neither should we. There's a place to be compassionate and loving and comparing. But when false teachings are going on and churches are pushing out these false teachings, there comes a place where we have to come down and declare the truth. So Judy, he starts with some more Old Testament examples here. Um, And we're not going to go into the same depth 
that we did last week with some of these Old Testament examples, but we'll briefly cover them. In verse 11, Judy begins with, woe, woe. He says, woe to them. Now, this is known as what's called a woe oracle. Woe, what does woe mean? Well, it, it means grief or anguish, affliction, wretchedness, calamity or trouble. And so a woe oracle was used by the prophets of God. And you'll find, especially if you look into the Old Testament, lots of woe oracles. They were used uh, by the prophets of God to announce coming judgment and afflictions on nations and people who were in rebellion against God. Jesus actually, in fact, issues what are known as the seven woes, which we find in Matthew chapter 23. And interesting, what Jesus is doing here is he's tearing into who? The teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And Jesus doesn't hold any punches. He calls them hypocrites and snakes. He calls them a brood of vipers. That's right. Mild and meek Jesus. He doesn't hold back, just like Jude. Why? Because it's a similar issue. There is false teaching going on here. The Pharisees, the scribes, they did not acknowledge and recognize who Jesus truly was. So like Jesus, Jude launches this woe oracle against the false teachers, these heretics, because that's what they are, they're heretics. And he says, they've taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. So what we have there are three infamous Old Testament characters, Cain, Balaam, and Korah. He says they have taken the way of Cain. Well, who was Cain? Cain is often attributed as being the first murderer. The first person to murder another human being. He murdered his brother Abel because he was jealous of the gift offering that Abel had made to God, which had found more favor than the one that Cain gave to God. And so he got jealous, and what did he do? He killed his brother. Now, in a sense, Cain was the archetypal sinner. And Jude is saying these false teachers, they've taken the way of Cain, the way of, of sin. What does that mean? Well, it means following the morals, or in this case, the immorality of that person. So these teachers, they, they've embraced the way of Cain, of sin and jealousy and anger and rage and murder. And they're literally leading people into death with their false teachings. That's why Jude compares them to Cain as murderers. But you know what? It's also a reminder for us, us sitting here today, that there are many ways we can choose in our own life, aren't there? Many paths that we can choose to go down. Many paths we can choose in this life, but only one of them leads to life. And that's the way of Jesus. If we, if we ignore Jesus or we dismiss him or we mock him in this life, then we are on the road to death. It's why, it's why Jesus says in Matthew 7 verse 14, he says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Jesus is nailing home a point here that there are many, many options and choices that we can make in this life 
that will lead us away from God. And you know, here's the thing. Often they look really attractive. They look and sound really attractive. Because they'll, they'll sound good. They'll sound noble. You know, they'll talk about and use phrases like discovering your inner power. Discovering your best self now. They'll use phrases like love is love. Just follow your truth. You are what you feel. Jesus was just a good moral teacher, but he's one amongst many. We're all gods. You heard any of those phrases in our society? It's all, it's all sugar-coated in syrupy language to woo us into a sleepy fog as we're actually slowly being poisoned and deceived by the ways of the world. But Jesus says, it can only be him. <coughs> yes, Jesus. Possibly the most inclusive human being who's lived. And yet the most exclusive. Because Jesus says, I am the only way. That's what he says. He says, small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Jesus is the exclusive way that leads to life, but many will be, will be deceived. You know, it's no coincidence, by the way, that look what comes right after what Jesus just said. So we just read Matthew 7, 14, right, where he's talking about the, uh, uh, the gate. And then 7, 15, the verse right after, here's what he says. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So Jesus is tracking right with Jude. In fact, Jesus is foreseeing exactly what Jude is dealing with. And actually what we still deal with today. Throughout church history, from day one, there has always been apostate churches. There has always been heresy rising that has had to be uh, uh, attacked and brought down. For the safety of the church. But Jude, he, that's exactly what he's doing here. He's being a defender of the faith. And he continues here in his takedown of the false teachers. He said they have rushed for profit from Balaam's error, which suggests that these false teachers, they were making a profit from their deceptive teachings. Do we see any of that today? People making a ton of money. Peddling false teachings. They're making a lot of money because they were and they are telling people what they wanted to hear. You know, people, people will pay big money to be told what they want to hear. There are New York Times bestsellers that make millions of dollars because they tell people what they want to hear. Jude's last Old Testament comparison is to a man named Korah. Verse 11 again, it says, they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Who was Korah? Well, he was a Levite, so he was from the priestly clan, and he was a, a cousin of Moses. And he was dissatisfied with Moses' leadership. And so he rose up against him with some prominent community leaders within the Israelite community, 250 of them in total, and he did this to challenge Moses, to challenge his leadership. Now, I want you to remember something here. Moses is God's chosen leader. 
God has selected Moses to, to lead the Israelites. And so they're not only rebelling against Moses, they're rebelling against God. So what I want us to do, just to flesh this out a little bit, is we're going to pick up the story. And um, you might want to grab your Bibles for this because there's a little bit of a longer passage, all right? It's the book of Numbers. Let me see if I can find your page number for you. Normally we would have these on the, the screen for you, the projector. But we're going to the, the book of Numbers, chapter 16. It is, uh, thank you, page 120. So book of Numbers, fourth book of the Bible, and we're going to, beginning in chapter 16, beginning at verse 28. Numbers 16, beginning at number, uh, verse 28. Then Moses said, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things, and it was not my idea. If these men die, this is the ones who've rebelled, a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them and they go down alive into the realm of the dead, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. As soon as he finished saying this, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. They went down alive into the realm of the dead with everything they owned. The earth closed over them. They perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, The earth is going to swallow us too. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. Okay. So here again, what do we have here? We have this theme of rebellion. Rebellion against God. A rejection of God. A rejection of his authority. And what does that lead to? It leads to death. You know, a um, a social faux pas today, something that's considered a no-no in our society, is to use this phrase, you people. You ever heard that? You know, you hear somebody say, you people. And people are like, what do you mean by that? What do you, you know, and you, you get called all kinds of names because it's that, you know, it's, there's almost this implied racism or something with it. You people separating people from, you know, but it's, it's not something that our society likes or accepts, isn't it? And yet, you know, that's kind of how Jude begins his next round of attacks on these false teachers, right? Because he begins with these people. So he's talking about them, these people, but if you're talking to them, he would be saying, you people. And what does he say? He says, they are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. So eating at your love feast. What, what's a love feast? Any of you been to a love feast? Well, you have, you just don't realize it. What these basically were, love feasts, is they were what the early Christians called their share meal together. They called them love feasts, right? You know what our equivalent today would be? Our fellowship hour that we have after the service where we grab some coffee and snacks and perhaps even more precisely like the potluck that we had last week where we actually shared a full meal, right? It's a love feast. Maybe, maybe we'll change fellowship hour to love feast. Yeah? Okay, guys. It's love feast time. 
But that's what it was, right? And something to know that is in the Greek language, right, which this is, which the New Testament is written in, Jude's letters written in. They have multiple words for love, for the word love, right? We only have one word for love, love, right? Which is why we you kind of get that statement, love is love. Well, actually, no, Greek has multiple words. It, probably, it has at least six words for love, for different kinds of love, right? So I, I won't list them all, but just to give you a, a couple, right? There is the, the, the Greek word philio, right? Which is, is kind of a brotherly love, okay? A, a, a love that you would have for a, a, a friend or something like that. You know, philio, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. That's where it comes from. That's where the name comes from. Um, we have the word eros. Eros is erotic or sexual love. Okay? And then we have what's used here, agape. Agape love. This is probably the most common word that's used in the New Testament for love. And what does agape mean? It's, it's a goodwill, it's a benevolence, it's a willful delight in the object of love. It's the kind of love that a parent has for their child, right? It's the love that God has for us. The love God has for us is an agape love. And you know, there's, there's a song that we sing, that song, The Blessing, where we sing about he is for you. He is for you. And it's true, God is for you. He's like the encouraging parent who wants their child to do well when they're trying to learn to walk and when they're trying to learn a new skill. He, uh, he, uh, new skill. He's, he's the comforting hand that says, come on, you can do it. You can do it. I'm with you. I'm, I'm here to help you. It's, oh, you fell over. That's okay. Let's try again. Right? We sometimes get this idea that God is against us. No, he's for us. God is against sin, but he is for us and for the freedom that can be found in him. Amen. We have to understand that about God, about the Father, his love for us. But the love feast, it was a typical joyful community meal, which would often begin with the Lord's Supper, and then they would go on to the regular meal. And Jude here, he says in verse 12, these people are blemishes at your love feast. Now, Jude uses an interesting word here, which really nails on what he's trying to say. Uh, NIV says blemishes, but actually... Uh, the word that Jude uses there for blemishes, it literally means reefs. These people are reefs at your love feast. Well, what does that mean? Well, what Jude is implying is that these false teachers are like hidden reefs in the ocean. And these reefs could, and they did, wreck ships. In the same way, Jude is saying false, deceptive and heretical teachers can wreck churches. I like how the New Jerusalem Bible translates that verse. It says, they are a dangerous hazard at your community meals. Kind of like Bob Colbert. <laughs> so after this, Jude, he uses a series of analogies to further denounce them. Shepherds who only feed themselves. Well, what are shepherds? Shepherds, they're the epitome of those who look after others. But these heretics, all they're interested in is themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. In other words, they don't deliver on their promises. Right? Proverbs 25, 14 says this. Like clouds and wind without rain is one who boasts of gifts never given. You ever been outside and all of a sudden the sky gets really dark? 
and you see all these gray clouds, right? And you're thinking, oh, it's, uh, it's going to rain. It's going it's it's to rain. And then somehow it doesn't. All of a sudden it clears up again. The clouds part and the sun comes through and you're like, oh, it didn't rain. That's kind of what Jude's talking about here. It's failing to deliver on something they're supposed to do. Jude says there are autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. So Jude is saying these false teachers, they're like trees that don't produce any fruit. They're useless. They're not producing any fruit, but they're also uprooted, which means there's no chance that they can produce fruit. That's why he says they're twice dead. They've, they've no root. They're not grounded in anything and they're not connected to the source of life that the tree needs. And I, I want to say the same is, is true for us if, we are, if we're not careful, right? Because if we're not grounded in Jesus and rooted in his word, let me say that again. If we're not grounded in Jesus and rooted in his word, then we will, we will waver. We will falter. We're not strong enough on our own to, to stave off the headwinds and the undercurrents that are thrown at us. Without Jesus, without his word, we will naturally drift and be blown around by whatever is popular in the culture. Without Jesus and his word, we've no anchor. We've no true grid for reality and truth. Judy goes on in verse 13, he says, they are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame. So why, imagine wild waves. This is kind of aggressive, mindless movements. Wild animals kind of act like this. And then he says, they're wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Now, I know we've gone into a lot of words today, a lot of the Greek words, but it really helps tell you what Jude is meaning here. That word for wandering stars, it's the Greek word planetai, and it's what we get our word planet from. Well, a cognate form of planetite is plan A. You know what that word means? <clears throat> Error. And more specifically, wandering from the truth. So what Jude is highlighting here is just how far these false teachers have wandered from the truth. And again, there's nothing new under the sun. The same is true today. You know, there are, there are many wonderful churches out there that remain faithful to God's word and teach the truth of who Jesus is. I believe you're sitting in one of those churches right now. But sadly, there are other churches out there that are turning away from the truth. They're turning to apostasy. They're falling away from the truth of scripture. They're caving into popular secular culture on all kinds of issues. And the reason they're doing this is to try and be popular. Jesus didn't call us to be popular. He called us to be obedient. And sometimes that's difficult. I know. I know. But he's called us to be obedient. You know, Judy, he has some pretty harsh words for those who teach and promote these lies and deceptions. At the end of verse 13, he says, it's these people for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. I take really seriously what I do. And I try to be as faithful to the scriptures as I can because I, I know that if I'm not, I'm doing a dishonor to, to God and to you. 
I don't want to in any way mislead you or steer you away from the truth. And so I really do my best to be faithful to God's word because what is Jude talking about here? He's talking about judgment with this blackest darkness. Right? He's talking about eternal judgment. You know, New Testament talks a lot about eternal life, but it does also talk about eternal judgment. That term blackest darkness, it indicates a place of judgment. And Jesus, a number of times, he talks about evildoers being thrown outside into the darkness. It's a term for judgment, for eternal judgment. And Jude is saying that this is where the false teachers will end up unless they repent. And it's not looking likely that they will. Now this leads to the last section of our scripture today, verses 14 to 16, in which... Jude does something very interesting here because he he quotes directly from a book that's not in the Bible. And this can freak some people out. It's like, well, what do you mean? It's not in the Bible. Does it mean the whole whole thing's a lie? What's going on? Well, yeah, Jude, Jude, he he quotes from an extra-biblical book which is called First Enoch. First Enoch's available. I have a copy of it. You can read it. It's a fascinating read. But again, you've got to, and you've got to remember something here, right? Jude's predominant, uh, his audience is predominantly Jewish, right? So they would, they were familiar with this book. They, they knew all about it. You know, it's, uh, it would have been well known to them. It's thought it possibly originated in the fourth century BC, but it never made it into the canon of scripture. It never made it into the Bible. Now, as I said, this, this can be a little unsettling for some people. You're like, well, what are we to make of this? So I want to give you two things to settle your stomach. Number one, what Jude quotes from First Enoch completely aligns with what we find elsewhere in the Bible. So it's in agreement with biblical teaching. There's nothing in here they're like, oh, that's a little, no. And secondly, it's a quote. You know, think of when, for example, I use quotes in my sermons, right? So say I use a, a C.S. Lewis Quotation, particular favorite of pastors. We all know that that quote is not the word of God, right? We know it's just C.S. Lewis. But it aligns with the scripture and what I'm trying to teach. Well, that's what Jude's doing here. He's quoting First Enoch in his argument against these false teachers. This is what he says in verse 14. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts that they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Jude is talking about the reality that there will come a time when we're all going to be judged. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone. Lord Jesus is going to return with his angels and there will will be judgment. Some to eternal life, some to eternal punishment. And these false teachers are in that latter category. To judge everyone. To convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against them. 
Have you noticed that there's one word there? I, I do wish we had these up on the projector screen because you'd be able to see it more clearly. But do you notice there's one word that stands out in that verse? Let me read it again. Everyone, to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they've committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken. Ungodly. Ungodly. What does that word mean? It means to be impious. What does impious mean? It means being irreverent, not showing reverence or respect, especially for God. Now, obviously, if you don't believe in God, then you're being ungodly. But many people say they believe in God and yet live as if he doesn't exist. As if there's not a moral standard and law that God has created for us. Many who claim to be Christians are, in fact, leading ungodly lives. You claim to be a Christian, but you're practically living your life as an atheist. God might as well not exist. Well, except for emergencies, okay? If you got an emergency, you pull out the God card, right? But other than that, yeah, 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 no, no, whatever. I'm just going to get on with my life. Oh, God, help! Okay, help me. Thanks. Okay, back to everything else. Yeah. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, this, oh my gosh, this, this verse, it's one of those verses, you know, everybody's got a verse in the Bible that's just like, ah, scares you a little bit. This is mine. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. See, you can say all the right words. And you can agree with all the right doctrine. But it's about doing the will of the Father. That's what really matters. And the only way we can do that is through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So this is where I, I want to leave us today. I know this is a heavy text. And if you're a visitor today, we don't always <laughs> get into judgment and everything like that. But it's in the scriptures. I'm called to preach the whole counsel of God, not just the bits that we like. Okay. And actually, the, the last sermon of this, which is coming up um, in a couple of weeks, ends on a really high note. Ends on a good, encouraging note. So stick, stick with me. But I want to leave us with this today to encourage you that if you haven't already... Start getting right with God and start getting serious about your faith, right? Your faith should not be an addendum to your life. It should be the focus of your life. Everything else you do in life should be centered in and around the person of Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Right? Be being part of a church community should not be an addendum to your life. Right? It shouldn't be a, ah, sometimes maybe if I'm in the mood. No, think about it. What is the church? The church is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And if you love Jesus, you will love his bride as well. I want to encourage you. It's, it's a big bad world out there. Be on your guard against false teachers because they are everywhere and they sound good. Boy, do they sound good. It's wrapped in all the right language, isn't it? 
Stay grounded in Jesus and rooted in his word. Stay gra- if that's all you take away from today, just take away that. Stay grounded in Jesus and rooted in his word. Stand firm in your faith because it will be tested. Do not falter. Do not cave to false teachings. Do not be deceived by false teachers. That's why you have to stay grounded in Jesus and rooted in his word because it's only through knowing the truth that you can recognize the lies. And finally, walk in the truth and the light. Endure to the end. And you have eternal life waiting for you. Let's pray.